Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH. And if you want to keep that conversation going after the show, Pad, where do they go? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. Swing on over to the website. Sign up on the social media accounts and definitely keep that conversation going. Check out the T Public Store link. Check out the Patreon link. Shout out to all our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month, and a lot of content on the way. They got a special bonus episode this month. So if you want to be like them, and I hope you do, sign up and get all the extra content that not everybody is going to be able to hear. So that's a deal right there in itself. Also, check out Parley Points, the blog section, which got a lot of comic reviews up this week. The directory, the classified section, which has the friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The music section. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, we have to review the latest episode and one that a lot of fans are hyped about, a lot of fans were very pleased about, of Disney Plus and Star Wars The Mandalorian. So with the return of Din Darjan and... Grogu to the television sets, streaming services, what have you across the world. The season has came back and I don't want to say it's been polarizing because I think Mm. that might be too strong of a word, but I feel that the excitement has been delivered. They are going in a lot of different directions for the story and where we go for episode five entitled chapter 21, the pirate definitely pleased a lot of fans. The social media reaction has been very good. And obviously, when Pedro Pascal, starring as Din Djarin, is really stepping up a level with Katie Sackhoff, going line for line, battle for battle with him as Bo-Katan Kreese, this has definitely been something fun to watch. That said, if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. We do appreciate it. Drop a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement of the episode that we're going to be talking about. So if you haven't seen the show yet, it's okay. You'll know our opinions. And then after you see the show, we timestamp where we're going to go into spoilers because we give you a big countdown. And then it's all bets are off. We talk a deep dive into the episode. So that said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement on Episode 5, Chapter 21, The Pirate of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. This episode was incredible. You know, everything about this episode from start to finish was absolutely amazing and honestly i i need to rewatch it it might be my favorite episode of the season i'm with you this is my favorite episode of the season thus far they definitely tied something back to an episode that we dismissed and i'm happy they did and you know what i will admit that we thought that that said episode was a little more filler i'm thinking there's a lot more to it than meets the eye mm-hmm. and i'm happy to be wrong about that i'm very happy with how this episode turned out especially after last week's episode because this one just felt more like the Mandalorian that we know. The action yeah. was big, 
and really had a different vibe to it. And I was very, very pleased with what I saw here. So that said, in three, two, one, pad. Talk to me. Like I said, I thought it was an incredible episode. You know, the action sequences were awesome, and the story throughout it was absolutely phenomenal. You know, and, and honestly, I'm going to rewatch it at some point, which is something I haven't done for a uh, episode of Mandalorian in a while. You know, it was that good. You know, it might be my favorite episode of the season thus far. Anytime we have Grief Karga come back, the one and only Carl Weathers, I'm in. Because he is always just a great supporting actor to the entire Mandalorian story. I love the fact that they went back for a couple episodes and tied a few plot points together. Mm -hmm. And I really think that that is selling the story that is going on because now we have a lot more plot points with three episodes left than I think that we are all anticipating on. Yeah. But they're still going to play out. And depending on where we're going for season four, even though it hasn't been officially announced, I think we're going to a season four. It's falling in that category of like just the way it's setting up. I don't think this is going to resolve in the next three episodes that this is going to continue into season three. You, you know what? Which I'm all right with. I like those stories that kind of bridge over into the following seasons. You know, we don't need necessarily a three season overarching story, but you can have one arc blend into the next one. Mm -hmm. And I think they're definitely going there, especially with the big revelation at the end of this episode. Yeah. Because where we jump in, well, we see an old friend return. Mm -hmm. And that is Grief Karga, who yep. played, like I said, by Carl <laughs> Weathers, who is overseeing Navarro. The planet has definitely been flourishing under his direction as magistrate yeah. or high magistrate. Yeah. My apologies. I love the correction. Yes. And he gets visited by an old friend of his, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. And Pad, who is that? Uh, so that is Gorian Shard, uh, who was the pirate that had the crew settle down when, uh, first couple episodes. And then uh, Din Djarin, you know, the Mandalorian got in a... Uh, battle with that with his forces before he came up on the capital ship and was like oh shit turn tail and run yeah so now shard has come to navarro and gone completely domination over the town or he, the city he's got or the world rather. he's got receipts and he ain't happy exactly like he is definitely making an imprint that we're taking over yeah like, we're, not, we're not happy with how, how you treated us so we're gonna rectify that yeah and the last time we saw he had that huge starship yeah he decided to unload its forces yeah. on Navarro and absolutely left it pretty much a shell of what it, what it was even before Karga took power. Right. So that was a very interesting playback when they got there. But Karga does get a message out for help. Yep. And he does contact a notable uh, member of the Republic. And, Pad, who is that? Uh, that would be the one, the only, Carson Teva, played by Paul Sun Huang Lee. Yeah, uh, we've seen, I think, the previous two seasons. Yep, he's definitely been around for the past couple seasons. And when he gets wind of this, he takes the information back to the Republic. And it doesn't go over as well as he would think. Well, so first, he before he runs to the Republic, and this kind of goes to show just, you know, for as much as the coat of paint changes, things, you know, behind the paint or underneath the paint don't change mm -hmm. or, or whatever the saying is. You know, because initially he so Carl Weathers, you know, Grief Karga sends out this distress message to to Carson Tiva because he knows the guy. He's familiar. You know, they've they've connected 
and he says, Hey, we got an issue. We're being, we're asking for your help. We're about to be overrun by pirates. Mm -hmm. And so Tiva brings this to his superior and he says, Hey, there's this planet. And he kind of gives a little bit of the backstory, you know, about what's going on there. You know, they're, they're about to be overrun by pirates. And he goes and his superior says, well, you got to run this up the chain. You got to file an official this and official that. And they're swamped right now. So it's going to be months before they even receive your your uh, letter or your your message about what's going on there. And by that time, they'll be wiped out. Yeah. And so that's when he goes, you know what? Fine. I'll just go there myself. They can't ignore me in person. Yeah, it's kind of a weird take from the Republic, as we see, and especially Colonel Tuttle, played by Tim Meadows, yep. who did a great job in this role. Because we would think, that okay, the Republic would be more than happy to jump in and you right. know, save the day. And yet they don't. Right. Well, and I think this is just goes to show where, yeah, the Empire's gone, but there's still pockets out there. I mean, we saw this with... Uh, Moff Gideon's forces. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we know Thrawn's still out there someplace. You know, there's enough Imperial forces that they're causing havoc. You're having pirates show up, scoundrels, you know, raiders, whatever else is going on that just, there's so many fires that, you know, they can't put them all out by themselves that they're swamped. And plus, speaking of the Empire, we did see another familiar face pop back up. Alia Kane. Yeah. Played by Katie O'Brien. Yeah. And obviously she is working her way through the Republic, trying to destroy it from within. And I think uh I think Carson Tiva knows something's up because yeah. because there's a quick moment when he's talking to Colonel Tuttle and Tuttle's getting the lowdown and and she comes in and there's a shot where the camera's on Carson Tiva's face and he looks over at her and the camera focuses in on the little badge on on, mm-hmm. her, on her chest and he and he's looking at her like what the fuck are you doing here like it, almost like he recognizes her yeah it's kind of an interesting play that I hope we get to see a little bit more of in future episodes yeah but it's very cool to see that the web is starting to get weaved right and it's also setting up for the first order's rise uh, in the later in the franchise, because you have this scenario where the uh, the Republic just can't believe anything like that's going to happen again. Oh, everybody hated it so much that it'll never happen again. No, there's there's no issue going on in the outer rim. There's no evil rise of forces taking things over. No, 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 no. And then you look at what happens. That's a trademark of the Republic. True. Their overconfidence True. in every action they take. I don't know if it's something with the Jedi powers. Well, I think it's just they want to believe the best in everyone, and that'll get you in trouble. Well, as we always kind of say, sheep mentality leads to slaughter. Yeah. And it's showing now here because with the Republic acting so nonchalant about Navarro. Yeah. Tava, Tava has to take matters in his own hands. He does track down Din Djarin Yeah. Onto the Mandalorian hub. Yeah. And when he shows up there, everybody is like, how the fuck did you find us? Yeah. Yeah. And you see that they're going, well, we're going to have to kill him. Well, we're going to have to kill him. And they're like, we're going to, well, first we got to figure out how we found us. Yeah. And then we got to kill him. He's like, well, I contacted an old friend from the the rebellion days and the R5 unit comes rolling out and he goes, oh, thanks R5. Yes. Which which I'm now convinced that was the R5 unit that blew a gasket in a new hope. I'm I'm with you there too. You can't tell me otherwise. No, I, I fully agree with you there. So you do see Tavia is reasoning with Dinjarin and saying, hey, Karga's in help, or mm-hmm. he needs help. Navarro is in danger of falling. Yeah. You have to come back to help. 
So Din Djarin is sitting there trying to plead his case to the Mandalorian group that is there. Right. And they're very reluctant. Yeah. A little bit. Like, there's there's not the overwhelming sense of, like, we need to do good. Well, they got chased off of there. Right. You know, so there's a history there, and it's not a, exactly a happy one, but it's almost a convenient set of circumstances just because the way their, their camp is set up, so, and as soon as uh, Carson Tiva shows up, you know, they go, oh, well, fuck, we got to leave. We got to relocate. And that's when Din Djarin goes, hey, listen, I know this is a shitty situation. Let me lay this out for you. You know, Grief Karga promised me a spit of land, you know, if I were to help him out and to help defend the planet. We go there, cash in on that. We're going to have some place to stay. Yeah. And I think that's the selling point for them was like, you know what? That might not be a bad idea. No, the selling point is definitely there. But that's not the tipping point to sell the argument, though. A surprise figure steps up and pleads the case. And Pad, that is Paz. Yeah. Vizsla. Yeah. Who says, hey, Dinjarin and Bo-Katan helped me get my son back. Yeah. They didn't have to, but they did. We now should help others. And like you see that turning point in it's his like character. We owe, we owe it to them. Yeah. Like it's a weird thing to see, but it's a cool moment nevertheless. Because you're seeing in a short time the influence that yeah. Dinjarin and Bo-Katan are both having on this group. Because, let's face it, they they're obviously have a grudge for right reasons. Yeah. But to see them kind of saying, okay, let's look at the bigger picture. Let's see about where we can go from here. It's, mm-hmm. There's no point in staying hiding if we have to stay irrelevant. We can do something. We can make our presence felt. And if this deal holds up, will have a home. And with this powerful speech that Paz gives, yeah. everybody gets on board. Even the armor. Yeah, which that was the toughest sell I thought we were going to see here. Yeah. But Emily Swallow, who plays the armor, really played it cool, I got to admit, and says, okay, this is the way, and just really just gives the blessing <clears throat> on it. Yeah. So then you see that they are out in full force mm-hmm. heading to Navarro. Yeah. And you see the Bo-Katan is leading this force. Yep. This isn't Din Djarin, which I think we've seen that transition in yeah. him, too. Yeah, he's he's just more fighter support. She's coordinated because he, she's got more experience coordinating forces from her time with Death Watch. Mm-hmm. And it's showing because she has the plan figured out. Katie Sackhoff, like I said, phenomenal job in this episode and really takes hold of this group and says, this is how we're doing it. This is where we're going. And it's layered out blueprint, like boom, 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 boom. Yeah. Domino effect. They go to the planet. You see this fantastic action shot where they're dropped out of the plane of uh, Katie's ship. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. It was amazing because Din Djarin is flying around Shard's Death Destroyer. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, however you want to describe it. It's just this enormous spaceship. It almost reminded me of the one from Avengers Endgame. Yes. That Thanos had. Yes. Like just a huge monster ship. And you see him just be in the decoy. He has fighter planes coming after him. He's bobbing and weaving. The great flying sequence going on here. Mm-hmm. And like I say, the Mandalorian group goes to the ground. And then they're trying to overtake the pirates who have really ran crazy through that town. You see him just obviously oh, having yeah. their way, taking, you know, pillaging. And just taking whatever they want. They end up chasing the entire, you know, populace out of town. Right. Because before the Mandalorians show up, 
there's we see Grieve Karga leading the townsfolk out of town and basically him not knowing anyone's coming because he's like, hey, I put a message out there, but fuck, I can't stick around to find out if I get him a reply back. Yeah. You know, he they're kind of like, all right, we got to figure this out. And that's when the Mandalorian show, which got to say, uh, Internet, I need an, uh, somebody to cut together when the Mandalorians drop out of the ship. Start playing the immigrant song from Led Zeppelin. Oh, give it to me, please. I need that. It, it was seriously it was such a badass scene. It was. Yeah, and then you see him down on the ground. Even when they were getting overtaken, Yeah, you do see that Paz steps up and just starts laying out everybody with that walking machine gun he yeah, has. Yeah, that Gatling gun. Yeah. Oh, my and God. I loved seeing just the surgical precision of the Mandalorians. Just just as much as like the, the pirates were just kind of this ragtag, like you'd expect a pirate to be. This like, oh, we're just going to try and overwhelm you with a sheer force of will. And numbers, mm-hmm. but you know the Mandalorians being you know the tactical mercenary group that they are, very surgical, very precise. Like, oh, we're gonna need duck and use cover. We're gonna peek out. We're gonna like pick you off one by one and, and whittle your numbers down. It was awesome to see. Oh, absolutely, and it goes to show the reputation they have. Yeah, well, it's true. We've seen this with Boba Fett. We've seen this with uh, Jango Fett. Yeah. Yep. We've seen this with every Mandalorian that's came through the Star Wars universe thus far. Yeah. They're precision fighters, and to see them take out these pirates was a big deal, even though there was the scene, and I had to kind of sit there and go like, okay, they really had a uh, a cannon yeah. just lying around that they could get on top of a roof. Well, it was kind of like a it was a kind of like a mounted mounted gun like you see in war in war movies sometimes. Yeah, so where it, like they pick it up and they move it and then then they mount it to the ground. It, it was still like I just kind of sat there for a second, like, man, they really thought this out, and I was kind of surprised because Shard did not inspire that in me. No, he just thought he just like okay, I'm going to send send my crew down to take what they want. We're just going to take over. Well, I think this is because you think of how many fighters he threw at one starship. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier this season, I don't think he's used to people fighting back against him. That it's just kind of like all right, they roll over, they play dead, and they know that like all right, if we roll over, he'll just move on and leave us be. Yeah, you know, so he's never he's never had anybody you know go up against him and really push back against him. So that's why the Mandalorians as good as they are. I think that's why they were able to get the one up on them is because yeah, the pirates are a little soft. Yeah, they were. And they definitely got exposed because even when they had the upper hand, nobody. And I mean, nobody saw the armor getting involved. Yo, just walking through with a hammer and fucking hammer laying people out. This was not one for the squeamish. Nope. A lot of headshots. Yeah, there were, but what a badass moment. Like seriously. Mm hmm. You can't you can't put that into perspective enough because now you finally see the armor getting involved and obviously the reputation that she has lives up. Yeah. And is the deciding factor of taking over the town and really is the swing to the Mandalorian forces way mm-hmm. that now is just up to the ship to take it out. Yeah. And you do see just amazing flight sequence going on. You yeah. see that Pokaton does wind up taking the ship out. Yep. I mean, just big explosion. You just see that Shard is just going right into the side of a mountain. Right, and, and Din Djarin's being such a good distraction that he pull, he leads away all of the air forces from Shard away from the battle, that they all go off chasing after him, leaving the ship vulnerable to where they get all of their engines destroyed. Yeah, like it's a crazy moment to see play out because even Vane, who is the most loyal, quote-unquote, yeah. to Gorian Shard, he takes off, Time, you know, because I think at that point, Sharda's lost three engines, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's somewhere there. 
and and he just kind of looks around at what's going on and he sees how things are going and i think he even says you know what shard this is all good and all but it's time to cut my losses and go mm-hmm. which which just goes to show how loyal pirates really are well exactly like it played to perfection <laughs> Because where is their loyalty? To themselves. <laughs> well, to themselves and as long as you can pay them. Yeah, exactly. And with Shard going bankrupt, it's not going to work. So yep. Shard is killed. Yeah. And the Mandalorians now have saved the day. Grief Karga leads the town's people back into yep. the capital. Yep. And he proclaims the land for the Mandalorians. Yeah is theirs it, so it's there's this it's a good chunk of land it's a huge yeah huge piece of land and it's one that has their old haunts yeah inside the borders of it yep so the mandalorians are really just coming back home right and, and i think it's even said by i forget who says it somebody says it but it's like hey listen we might not have a home planet anymore mm-hmm. but this is a place we can call home Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see that they're very happy to to finally not live in hiding. Yeah, that they're going to really be welcomed uh-huh. and be a part of this new world that they've now saved. Yeah, so it's a great moment to see play out, but it's not the end of the episode though. Nope. There's two key points that happen after here. You do see that Bo-Katan is summoned by the armor, mm-hmm. and they're walking through the armor's old forge. Forge. Yeah. And the armorer does something that's a little out of character. Okay. Because we saw the first time that Bo-Katan tried mentioning about the Mythosaur. Sure. The armorer just didn't pay attention. Well, it kind of brushed off like, oh, that's not possible. Yeah, just yeah, just didn't give it time of day. Sure. So now the armorer has seen Bo-Katan in action. Mm-hmm. And now that fight has solidified Bo-Katan as the real deal in the armorer's eyes. Mm-hmm. Because now the armorer says, if you saw the Mythosaur, you're the chosen one. Right. Well, because again, it goes back to the story Bo-Katan told earlier in the season where, you know, the first Mandalorian or, or the first person to land on Mandalore saw the Mythosaur, and ended up riding it and was the first person to unite all the peoples. Mm-hmm. They've been very broken and scattered for decades now. Yeah. That nobody seemingly has been able to unite them, and, and even with, with the Darksaber or without. Mm-hmm. And so finally she's seeing, okay, while she initially you know dismisses it, I think it's still in the back of her head like, okay, let's file this away because... That thing hasn't been seen in God knows how many years, how how many decades, how many centuries, whatever. You know, so, all right, let's still file that away. And the fact that, okay, this is an individual who claims to have seen a mythical beast that is integral to everything about our our race and our culture. And now she's leading, coming in here when we really don't like her way of life and the the way of life her family was tied to. Mm -hmm. And people are buying into what she's saying and what she's selling. There might be, and, and as steeped in the in the mythos as the armor is, and knows all the lore and all of this, all of that. I think the the armor is sitting there going, "No, there's something to her." Yeah, there's something that is standing out to the armor, where the armor makes one of the boldest choices. I think in three seasons that we've seen her. Yeah, tells Bo-Katan to take her helmet off, and she's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, and I thought it was a, I thought it was a trap. I did too. I legitimately thought like. There's some double crossing going to go on here. 
It's a setup. She thinks you're too powerful. She's going to get you thrown out. Yeah, there had to be an ulterior motive. But no. You see Bo-Katan take her helmet off, walking through the Mandalorian faction. Yeah, and they're all like, well, shit, wait, she took off her helmet. She can't be here anymore. Right. And the armorer just addresses the crowd and says, Bo-Katan is the one. Uh Uh-huh. That will reunite us all. She's walked both worlds. Yeah. You know, she's walked our world and she's walked the other world. You know, she's the one who can unite, reunite all Mandalorians. Yeah. And Bo-Katan is now leaving for that journey. The only thing I was curious about, uh-huh. and I was surprised that they didn't show this. Yeah. Even though they did show it in the the pre-credits. Uh, sure. Because, you know, they always do a recap. Sure. We didn't see the dark saber get handed over to Bo-Katan. I don't think we will. Uh, I'm going to guess that's probably going to be not next week's episode, but the we- episode after, uh, because that would be chapter 23, which is written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Yeah, because I think it, Bo-Katan is a character that both he and George Lucas had a hand in creating back in the Clone Wars times, mm-hmm. and they also created the dark saber. So I think if you're going to do that, you're going to have Filoni involved with that integrally. It would make the most sense. And, and it's going to set up something big for the season finale. Well, I was just sitting there going, okay, if you're co-signing on Bo-Katan to be the one, like why wouldn't you just say take the Darksaber here? Like it's a new Mandalore. Here you go. We don't need to follow the old ways. You're going to be the one to unite everybody. Right. The Darksaber is the key to doing it. I was surprised at that. Sure. That we didn't see that. But it's still a great scene nevertheless. And you do see that Bo-Katan is now embracing this role. Like, right. you, you you saw her be very coy. Oh, so she was kind of like, she seemed kind of like relaxed about it. She yeah. Was, she wasn't like a, like a jump back like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, it was a real interesting moment that I think that Bo-Katan was just soaking in like, right that belief that she really is the one. Because, let's face it, when we saw her at the beginning of the season, self-doubt. Yeah. All over the place. Yeah. So now... Living on her own. Yeah. So now she's reignited the fire inside her to go out and unite all the Mandalorians. Right. So her story might be done for now. I'd like to see her come back, though, like I say. I I think she is. Episode 23 or, you know, episode 7 slash... Chapter 23, however you want to define it. I think you're right. I think that's going to be because it's Dave Filoni. Yep. I would be surprised if it wasn't, but I'm still banking we see Ahsoka then. Oh, probably. So probably. De- depending on how you they want to go juggle everybody for that, that's a whole different ball of wax. But we're still not done with this episode. No. Because, Pad, what happens now? So we got to flash back a little bit just because earlier in the episode when Tava was talking with Colonel Tuttle, it got brought up again about... Uh, Moff Gideon not like gone missing they don't think he made it to the trial and whatnot so because uh, Carson Tiva was out contacting the Mandalorians he must have been in the neighborhood conveniently or he went out of his way to go check because he wasn't certainly getting permission or clearance to go do it Mm -hmm. he went to go check went to go to a system you know and he finds a transport which had gone missing uh, you know had gone missing during transit he has his uh, astromech droid send out a probe to the ship. He, you know, he turns on the spotlight. He's looking at, and he's in communication with somebody. I think it might have been his higher up. Mm-hmm. We saw earlier in the episode. I couldn't really tell. You know, so he has the astromech unit send a probe from its dome into the ship, which I thought was cool. We never. That saw, was very cool. We never saw R two do this. Yeah, would have come in handy a couple times. You know, so the the probe goes into 
the ship and it starts scanning and it finds all of the bodies of the crew in the ship. But it's like, and, and, and at some point between the, the probe launching and when he arrived, he picked up the, or that because they, they found the transponder mm-hmm. of the ship. They learn this is the, this is the ship that was supposed to take Moff Gideon to his trial. And this confirms what they've been saying since the beginning of the season. He never made it to his trial. Yeah. And so they send the probe in and they go looking and his body isn't there. And and the only bodies they're finding is the crew of the ship. Mm-hmm. And then the, there's no bodies for anybody who broke him out. So it was very precise, very surgical. And that's when they see, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they see a fragment of Beskar yeah. on, on the ship. And they're like, wait, the Mandalorians did this? Cut to the credits. Yeah. A crazy mic drop moment. Yeah. Because now the question is, who broke out Moth Gideon? So initially I was thinking, oh, it's got to be Thrawn. Thrawn. And then, like, and then I thought about it, like, no, it is the Mandalorians. Because let's not forget, there's a crew of them running around. Mm-hmm. The crew that was with Bo-Katan. Sasha Banks is uh, well, part of that, it, yeah. It could be her, or it could be some of the other ones that were running around, you know, a larger group that was running around with Bo-Katan. We, she never said how large this this group was. Right. I think it's that group, because she said earlier in the F season when Din Djarin went to go recruit her, and she told him to pound salt, and that her crew had left her and, and had gone off being mercenaries because she didn't have the Darksaber. So I think it's it's her crew under the hire of somebody from the Imperial Remnant, or it could be uh, or it could be Thrawn, but somebody has hired the Mandalorians to break him out. Yeah, or or it could be really simple, and it could be uh, Ella Kane. Ooh, could be her. It, it could be. I mean, but I think they would tip that hat a little too much Man, just with just maybe. with how Kane was acting during this episode. It would make sense, but I think. Star Wars doesn't like to tip off too much like that. Yeah. Like, they like to build up a little mystery behind it. I do agree. I think that it's Bo-Katan's former crew, and like I say, with Mercedes Monet, uh, you know, part of that crew. I could definitely see that making a lot of sense. I don't think we're talking about Boba Fett. No. I don't think we're talking about a clone of Din Djarin, even though that would get weird. But That it would, would be wild. It would be wild, but, you know. To, to our knowledge, there are... There are no major cloning facilities left, just what the Empire was messing around with. Right, but as they touched about, clones were involved in this season. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, anything is possible. A double shot of Pedro Pascal. I mean... The internet couldn't handle it. Well, like I say, we already had that for a good stretch run for February. True. So, I mean, anything is possible there. But at the end of the day, it's still a good mystery to lead into whatever we're going to get for these final three episodes. All bets are off. You do know that Bo-Katan's story is now taking off into a different direction. Right. As far as we know, as of right now, there is no plans for a spinoff show. That we've heard of, no. That we've heard of. Celebration is coming up sometime this summer, I, I think, over, over in London. In, in London. Yeah. So if anything gets announced, it's going to be a, a Star Wars celebration. Right. So I would imagine that we'll get something there. Not saying it's going to involve Bo-Katan, but we'll get some more news about spinoff shows and such. Right. It could be something that leads into the Ahsoka show. We don't know. It could be, you know, just a really fun mystery that they want to establish for a true threat for the Mandalorian for next season. Because Moth Gideon has been such a thorn in his side, it makes perfect sense to bring him back. And especially now 
we do know that the, the Empire does start planting their seeds to come back mm-hmm. after being defeated in Return of the Jedi. This is a perfect jump on point to start building up something for future shows. So I do think they're going to take their time with this and not do a full reveal, but I think they're going to leave a nice cliffhanger going into chapter eight or episode eight, chapter 24. I, you know, it's always kind of weird how they word the episodes. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, just, just say it's, you know, episode eight. It's fine. But I really did like what we saw with this episode. I thought that Katie Sackhoff, like I say, her performance at Bo-Katan, I, I'm sold. I need a show. I need yes. a show now. Uh, and for what now the dynamic is going to be on Navarro with the Mandalorians now setting up shop there and what's the armor's true goals. I mean, there's a lot of question marks going <laughs> on here. And the one that really struck me, though, the the funniest, I guess, would be the Republic's nonchalant way about just being so arrogant. Yeah. Like he well, would, it ultimately ends up being their downfall. Yeah, it always does. I mean, we I've talked about this many times. It started by electing Jar Jar to the Senate. And it's domino effect from there. They didn't elect him. He got brought along. Tomato, tomato. It's all produce. Pat, final thoughts on the episode. Fantastic episode. Easily one of the best this season. I fully agree with you there. This has been one of the best episodes they've done in the entire series run. This is the best episode of the season thus far. And if you think otherwise or you agree with us, hit us up on the hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? of episode five entitled chapter 21 the pirate let's talk about it shall we we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back you ever wondered what comics mark from veil my is into what zach from left behind's favorite mcu movies are well metalcore nerds is the show for you my name is sean mott and here at metalcore nerds we cover the latest things in pop culture whether it be star wars marvel dc AEW, and everything else in between you can listen to the show every monday on adobe howl at 7 p.m eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to recap the CW's shining light of the DC Comics universe. Probably their best show on their network, in my opinion. Probably. And that is Superman and Lois Season 3. Tyler Hoechlin and Elizabeth Tulloch are playing the title roles of Clark Kent and Lois Lane with their sons Alex Garfin and Michael Bishop playing Jordan and Jonathan Kent, respectively, as they live in Smallville, but yet the drama still finds them from Metropolis. The season has started out very, very strong. Um, definitely diving into the rogues gallery of DC Comics. Mm-hmm. I think we can say that without spoiling too much. And it's been interesting to see the setup thus far. They haven't really tipped off what the big plan is going to be yet. Right. But as we've seen with the show, you can trust them to really hit it out of the park because with two seasons... They've really gave a fresh take on the Superman mythos. They've dived into some of the rogues gallery that I didn't think they were going to for the show. Mm-hmm. And with Lex Luthor looming in the wings, because uh, it has been announced who is playing him, uh, all bets are off about where we're going with that right now. But let's give that spoiler-free statement about episode three of season three entitled In Cold Blood, Pad, your th- your thoughts? I, I thought it was a good episode, all things considered. You know, kind of like a middle of the season, because I know the season's only supposed to be like 12 or 13 episodes, something, mm-hmm. something like that. It's kind of like a middle of the season. All right, we're kind of getting going, but we're not ready to ramp up full speed yet. So it was good otherwise. It played its part to move the stories forward for yeah. everybody. Yeah. Like, there isn't any big wow factor to this episode. Right. Like, you know, for one that I think was going to set the internet on fire, so to speak. But I think what this show does is it really focuses when it needs to on the family dynamic and 
kind of takes the superhero element out of the show at times. Mm-hmm. Even though there are a lot of superhero elements of this episode, but the driving points is all about the family. You know, not yeah. to, not to go fast and furious on family. everybody. Family, but with what has been going on this season, I thought they've they've done a, a great job about portraying that, and really just kind of took a break from the overall story, but gave it enough time that it's not forgotten about. If that makes sense, yeah. So I thought they did a really good job with that, and I'm really interested to see where they're going because there was a big reveal in this, and how that's going to play out long term. <laughs> is really up in the air, but I'm invested in this. I love the show. I think there's so much win about this for anybody. That's not a big Superman fan. This will turn you into a Superman fan. And if you already were, you're going to, you remind yourself about how it's truth, justice, and the better tomorrow. So that said, pad three, two, one, talk to me. Like I said, this episode was fine. You know, it was nothing really super crazy. Like, oh my gosh, this is the moment that everyone's going to be talking about that. You know, it was kind of like a standard episode, which, you know, for them is good. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not, you know, one of their worst episodes, but no, it was good. Yeah, I agree. I think it did what it needed to do. And that's just move things forward there. And this is not a bad episode by any means. So if it comes out that way, I apologize. But we're so used to this show just, you know, hitting on all cylinders and just nonstop, nonstop, go, go, go. That when they kind of take a step back to do a smaller story, right? it doesn't hit the same way, but it's not a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination. I think in this entire uh, three seasons now, we've only had one that we were like, yeah, what? Yeah, like, what the hell was that? Yeah, the Bizarro World one. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that was the only one I think you and I both were like, a rare miss. Yeah, that's the only one so far. Yeah, but what what they've done thus far this season, they're really amplifying the drama in Smallville. Mm-hmm. And obviously the big story going on this season is Lois, unfortunately, has been diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And this is where this episode kicks in because Clark is having nightmares about Lois dying and it's the scenes that you've seen from the commercials right where everything's chaotic and metropolis and you see the the iconic daily planet figurehead Mm -hmm. fall off the building like it's falling on lois right so you're seeing clark just wake up and just in sheer panic that lois has died and he you know obviously wakes up she's next to him everything's okay but it's still the effect of hearing the the person you love the most is is sick with cancer so from this point, they go and they tell the Langs about what's going on. So everybody knows that Lois is sick with cancer, and it's mm. very powerful scenes that are going on. Lois, though, wants to get right back to work. Because that's just how she is. Yeah, she's always been a very strong-willed character in the comics. and t- Like, wherever you've seen her, she's always yeah. just been, yeah. you know, go forward and just get to the story at hand and the story that she's been focused on for years. And she even refers to it as her, you know, dream story, so to speak, is cracking the case of inner gang and Bruno Mannheim. Mm-hmm. So she is ignoring her chemotherapy appointments yeah, to go make this case her number one mission, right? Which is just absolutely, you know, 
weird to see, yeah. but knowing her character, it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. It's just that's how she she yeah. is. Like she's willing to put the story above herself, which is just it's yeah. It's something that if you don't understand the character, it'll come off very very awkward. Right. Lois is willing to do whatever it takes to get to a story. Mm-hmm. You know, she will skip sleep if it means she will get the story. Yes, exactly. So while this is going on, Natalie Irons. Uh, is trying to get a watch engraved for to give to Lois of her, uh, the, the two sons and Sarah, their names on it. Mm-hmm. So this is like this is going to play a part a little later in the show. So it is you know how they're reacting to the news about what's going on with Lois. Right. During this, Lois takes off from another appointment and meets up with Chrissy, her co writer at the Smallville Gazette. Coworker, yeah. Yes. And they're now in the investigation of inner gang. They go to a warehouse, mm-hmm. and it's a setup. Yeah. So they get trapped inside. Yeah. And this is one of the more unique things that are that happens with the show because they've always been great about showing Superman's powers. Right. And we always kind of make the running joke about, well, that's where all the CGI goes for one episode. Pretty like, much. You, like you see him, like okay, he's going to stop a fight here. He's going to do something here. So he's taking care of a landslide at this time, and then he finds out that Lois is missing. Right. That she didn't go to her appointment, so he's kind of really freaking out. He goes to see General Lang at the DOD headquarters. Yep. Lois is trapped by inner gang. They lead her out because where she is, she's enclosed. Mm-hmm. And she's in a laboratory, so it's like there's no cell phone service. I'll say willing to bet it's surrounded by lead. Oh, yeah, because they're definitely waiting on you know Superman to try st- stopping them. So they're, they're very prepared for this. So when they lead her out because... They know who she is. They do this really interesting scene that looks like Chrissy has a radio in her hand. Yep. So Sophia Hammock, who Hamzik, who plays uh, Chrissy, did a great job with this. So she's just kind of sitting there just being the partner to Lois, holds it up, and you hear Lois yell, Superman! Yeah. And you know he has a frequency right for Lois wherever he is in the world. He hears that and goes flying mm-hmm. at supersonic speed, yeah. crashing through the the lab there, and just a very dramatic moment. So he's now fighting the inner gang members that are trying to kill Lois, mm-hmm. one of which has a unique pair of weapons, Pat. Yeah. And what is it? Uh, it's a pair of gauntlets that shoot uh, kryptonite energy or some form of kryptonite uh, at Superman. Yeah. So it's kind of a weird thing. Like thing to see that they're packing kryptonite. Yeah, but inner gang has. Let's face it, who isn't these days? Yeah, that's true. Like surprisingly, for being such a rare element, uh, everybody's got it. Everybody's got their hands on it. It's a weird thing. So you see that he's now in trouble. John Henry Irons do, does come to help them out. They make a big rescue, but not before the warehouse explodes. Yeah, and you see this big like movie esque explosion where the fire is just encompassing them. But obviously, Superman and John Henry Irons are completely fine. Uh, somewhere my, during the explosion, Michael Bay shed a tear. Yes. So while this is going on, we go back to the watch story. And what happens is the watch is left inside Jonathan Kent's truck. And Jonathan is still dating Candace. Now, if you don't remember Candace, what was she in trouble for? Uh, selling steroids. Effectively. Yeah. Kryptonite X or whatever it was yeah, the yeah. last year. Yeah. So she is always been trouble for Jonathan. Oh, yeah. So as he goes to see her at the house, 
she meets or he meets her father Emmett. Oh boy. So Emmett kind of is a very shifty, if you will. Yeah. And gives a vibe of like uneasiness. Yeah. And we do see that he starts asking a lot of questions about Jonathan's truck. Mm-hmm. Like, how much did that cost you? Like, where'd you get it? He's he's looking at it, crunching some numbers in his head. Mm-hmm. So you see Jonathan is kind of playing it off and saying, well, I don't know. I got it as a gift. You know, I got to get going, trying not to give anything. But Emmett is sitting there and just being so creepy about it mm-hmm. that the next day when Jonathan's truck is stolen – and the watch is inside it. Yeah. You can understand when he is very, very angry and Jonathan is accusing Candace's father of you know stealing the truck. Yeah. Which she is trying to deny because she's like, No, you're you're just saying that because, you know, we don't have money like you and you know, you know, we live in a trailer and you don't. Right, and, you know, right. like and you know, just really kind of playing into that. So while this is happening, Natalie and Jordan get the idea after talking with Jonathan about, well, let's go find the truck. Right. And sure enough, they find that it's almost in like a uh, chop shop, if you will. Mm-hmm. So it's going to get broken for parts. <coughs> so you see these two now, Natalie with her own steel suit, mm-hmm. come flying in with Jordan, and they're fighting off the gang that's in there. Yeah. And you see Jonathan kind of bobbing and weaving because you see him smoke fly kind of all over the place. So nobody's really seeing everybody. You see him hit somebody and then jumps in the truck and takes off. Right. Drives through the side of the building. So it's a very, I want to say it's a fun moment, but it's it's one that it kind of reminds you with everything going on mm-hmm. that the kids' stories can be entertaining. So they have their moments. They have their moments. They definitely do. It's just not when everything's so focused on Sarah and Jordan. Yeah. Like in the will they, won't they, which we've seen for eons and eons. So they wind up getting the truck back. It's That's the end of that story. Yep. There is also the bonus story that's going on too, and that's kind of the, can we call it a love triangle or like what are we? I think it's a love square at this point. Yeah, because you do see that Emmanuel Kirkies, Lana Lang, has been getting close with Wooly Parks' John Henry Irons. Yeah. Like as, as they've been investigating the whole intergang yeah. uh, story going on with them. And you see that the estranged, now divorced husband of Lana, Kyle Cushing, played by Eric Valdez, is now asking a lot of questions yep. of what's going on. and like, Why are well, you hanging out with this guy all the time? Yeah, and what's up with the security system, which is like this new like facial scan recognition. and Which I understand he's being Snoopy, he's being this, he's being that, but like she's also the mayor for a town that's had a lot of shit happen the last two years. Yeah. I feel like under normal circumstances, he wouldn't bat an eyelash at this. He'd be like, hey, no, I'm, considering we almost had our Earth merge with another one, and we had another super, another Kryptonian show up and battle Superman to a standstill. No, I totally get having a security system. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it made perfect sense, but you do see that you know Kyle is kind of asking a lot of questions. He's the jealous ex. Yeah, even though he has been hanging out with Chrissy. Yeah, he, I would say he has no room to talk. Yeah, he he has none. Why, Pat? Uh, that's because before he had the divorce papers officially handed to him that they were signed, he was sleeping with Chrissy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I'm not quite sure how it works in terms of like, you know, a divorce that, you know, 
if, if I get, I understand that it's official once it's signed, but is it like officially official when it's handed to the other party or like however that works? So like, irregardless, in his eyes, he was still married technically. Yeah. It's a messy situation. Like I said, it's a love square. Yeah. So we're watching this unfold and we find out that Sarah, Lana's daughter, has been feeding dad all the information. Yeah. Which does not go over well with Lana. Uh, to quote my father, it goes over like a fart in church. Yep. And you see that they have a very heated argument, and Sarah is already in trouble for going to Metropolis for the party. Uh-huh. Yeah, she is. And she is not doing any favors. Nope. And She's digging that hole deeper. Nope. And Sarah winds up saying a few things that she probably should not say. Yeah. And it comes yeah. to paraphrase a little bit. The reason you took the mayoral job is to make yourself relevant, and Oof. that's the reason Dad left you. Price check, aloe vera. Yep. So that's paraphrasing a bit, and Lana. That's in, the PG version. Yeah, and Lana, in a fit of rage, slaps her. What did the five fingers say to the face? Bam. Yep. Just hits her, which was like, <gasps> and immediately she's apologizing. You know, Sarah runs off because she can't believe her mom hit her. Yeah. And. It's like it's a shocking moment that you're like, oh my god, like what yeah. did she do? Like what the fuck? Yeah, and obviously Lana is feeling absolutely remorseful, you know, for doing such a heinous act. Right. And then you see that Sarah takes off to go meet up with Dad, who's yeah. sitting with Chrissy at the diner, and rehash everything going on. So yeah, their story is only getting more messy as it's going on. Oh, well, that ain't gonna get any better. No. And then the next day, you see that. Natalie gives the, the watch to Lois. They wind up uh, leaving for Lois's chemotherapy tr- uh, appointment. Finally. Finally. So, like, it, it's, it's... been delayed three times. Yeah. So, you know, after that moment, like I say, it's a very emotional moment, too, that you're seeing then Lois and Clark just drive off to the, to the appointment. So they have their ending to the story. However, though, there is something that's hanging overhead that is the big reveal of the show. And that is... General Lane finds out that the blood that Inner Gang has that they've been pumping in Henry Miller from the beginning of uh, you know mm-hmm. episode one mm-hmm. is whose pad? Uh, that would be Superman's. Yeah, it is absolutely insane. Yeah. So let me ask you this: spitballing theories here. We don't know anything, but I'm just thinking of some other uh, properties that have used. Superman's blood in the past, uh, specifically animated ones. You think at some point we're going to get Connor Kent? Yes. Okay. I think at some point we are. Because for those who don't know, Connor Kent comes about because Lex Luthor gets a hold of some of Clark's DNA, DNA, blood, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And he tries cloning him and that then spawns off Connor Kent. Yeah. Well, I think now they're introducing Lex Luthor. I think fully we're we're going to see Connor Kent. Because, like I say, with Inner Gang now playing around with the blood, yeah, I think that that is you know very very telling. Oh yeah, it's gonna blow up in their face. Oh yeah, because you, for whatever reason, Bruno Mannheim's being Doctor Frankenstein here. <laughs> yeah, and, he we, and we don't know why. Like I say, they, they the and he's not even in this episode too. Well, we know why reasons. Yeah, reasons is exactly why. So we don't know what is playing out here. So it's kind of a little crazy that 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 happens. But I think it's ultimately setting up for that, so it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of a little crazy with that. But I think overall, 
a very solid episode like we talked about. Yeah. Some very dramatic moments. Like I said, Lana, you know, hitting her teenage daughter. Yeah. Was an absolute shocking moment. Yeah. You know, one that, you know, I, is only going to make the divorce between her and Kyle even more, uh, you know, tr- dramatic. Uh-huh. Because obviously the, that story is not going away anytime soon. Lois's story is still progressing forward in, in her battle against cancer. Yeah. And to see that Natalie and Jordan had their own superhero moments. Mm-hmm. I think it was, an, it was a nice little fun story, a this, one and done. Th- this, is a, this is a story with the kids I can stand. Yeah. I like this. Yeah, I do you, too. You know, when it gets so lovey-dovey, will they, won't they, for, you know, half of the episode, I, I okay, don't care, too long. But when you do this kind of stuff, okay, I'm in. Yeah. No, this definitely worked. Like I said, this was just a solid episode all around. Yeah. And definitely moved the stories forward. I think the the blood reveal is the one that I think everybody's going to be talking about the most from this episode. Yeah, probably. But like I say, I think they handled the the family dynamic very well. And like I say, it's only going to get more interesting as we go on further. So definitely a lot to talk about with this episode. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode three of season three of Superman and Lois entitled In Cold Blood? Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom, from movies to TV, video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And there's some late breaking news as we are recording. Yeah. That this is huge. Yeah. If, if you're not familiar with the situation going on with Marvel and Disney right now, stay tuned. I'll say, well, odds are, you know, of some of the stuff this person has done, you just didn't know the person behind it. Uh, but this is in regards to some of the shakeups going on at Disney. And no, we're not talking about the 7,000 jobs laid off and, or, you know, part of trying to cut $5 billion, $5.5 billion. Now, this is one specific person who got let go, uh, and that is Isaac, better known as Ike uh, Perlmutter, who has been let go, and uh, he was the chairman of Marvel Entertainment, not Marvel Studios. Right, right. But Marvel Entertainment, so that's kind of everything else to do with Marvel. So that's the merchandise, the video games, the comics, the everything not Marvel Studios related. Uh, so reading from an article on the New York Times, it says, quote, an irascible and unrelenting executive, Mr. Perlmutter, has been seen as a distraction inside Disney for more than a decade. Most recently, when he pushed for a friend, the activist investor Nelson Peltz, to join the Disney board. Mr. Perlmutter contacted Disney board members and senior Disney executives six times from August to November to push for Mr. Peltz to join the board, according to a securities filing. When he was rebuffed, Mr. Peltz started a proxy battle to put himself on the board, saying he would cut costs, revamp Disney's streaming business, and clean up the company's messy succession planning. Mr. Peltz withdrew in February when Robert A. Iger, Disney's chief executive, unveiled a restructuring and the cost cuts, along with the likely restoration of Disney's dividend. Since then, Mr. Perlmutter's future at Disney has been a topic of water cooler debate inside the company, with most employees concluding that his days were numbered. On Wednesday, Disney also laid off Rob Stevens, co-president of Marvel Entertainment, and John uh, Turitzen, chief counsel for the division. A Disney spokesperson confirmed the job elim- eliminations at Marvel Entertainment, but declined to comment further. 
Dan Buckley, president of Marvel Entertainment, will remain to report to Kevin Feige, president of Marvel Studios. Previously, Mr. Buckley reported to both him and Mr. Perlmutter. Mr. Perlmutter sold Marvel to Disney in 2009 for $4 billion. He gained control of the superhero company in the late 1990s and greatly expanded its merchandising business by licensing properties like X-Men and Spider-Man to movie studios. Mr. Perlmutter's, Perlmutter's involvement with Marvel as a whole has greatly diminished over the years. He has not been involved with Marvel movies since 2015 when a feud with Mr. Feige over costs related to Dr. Strange boiled over. Mr. Perlmutter wanted to fire Mr. Feige. Mr. Iger overruled him. Mr. Perlmutter lost oversight of Marvel television shows in 2019. By the end, Mr. Perlmutter's job was limited to business-like comics publishing, which generates $40 million to $60 million in sales annually, according to analysts. For context, Disney had about $83 billion in total revenue in 2022. He was also involved in Marvel game licensing, certain consumer products, and superhero arena shows. Marvel Entertainment was based in New York. Disney arguably allowed Mr. Perlmutter to keep a fife long after it made financial sense to do so. He is a significant Disney shareholder, and there was a sense of obligation. Without him, Disney would not have Marvel. Mr. Perlmutter's zeal for corporate frugality in service of profit is well known in the entertainment business. In one particular vivid example, he used to pluck paper clips out of garbage cans at Marvel offices for reuse. People at Marvel still talk about the time he suggested serving potato chips at a movie premiere to save catering costs. To closely monitor activities at Marvel offices, Mr. Perlmutter one, at one point installed at least 20 cameras. Disney ripped them out several years ago. His efforts to have, to have a say in Marvel movies continue, however. Last fall, he, dem he demanded financial information related to Mr. Feige's operation and questioned the decision to spend $200 million to make the sequel Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That film ended up making, taking in $956 million worldwide. Mr. Perlmutter's soreness over Mr. Iger's decision to take away oversight of Marvel movie making has also been well known. In February, when Disney thwarted the proxy battle, Mr. Iger appeared on CNBC and was asked about Mr. Perlmutter's involvement in the shakeup. Did a feud perhaps fuel it? Quote, well, you'd have to ask Ike about that, Mr. Iger said, but let's put it this way. He was not happy about it, and I think that unhappiness exists today. Uh, so close quote. So uh, some other notable things about this gentleman, uh, he's, he made changes, several changes, allegedly, allegedly to, to Marvel movies over the years, you know, including recasting, uh, uh, Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle among some of the reasons some movies didn't get made to later years. Again, allegedly, there's also the fact that because of, the fact that Marvel didn't have the rights to the X-Men and Fantastic Four. That's why the Inhumans got pushed as hard as they did, both in the comics and on screen. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you want a good take of how some fans feel about this, I recommend going over to the r slash Marvel subreddit uh, and then the r slash uh, Marvel Studios subreddit and read some of the comments in the, the thread about uh, Ike Perlmutter being fired just to see how fans really feel. I'm not going to read them here because, well, if you're listening to this episode with children, it's not good for children to hear some of those words. Yeah, we're not behind a Patreon wall for this one. <laughs> oh, no, we're not. No. Um, so, initial reaction. Um, not super surprised. No. Uh, to be honest with you, because we, we've heard 
throughout the years that you know Perlmutter had had a problem with. Disney and, yeah. and the studio side yeah. of things. Like we've heard rumors about it. Obviously, we don't know anything official. Like yeah. on our side, of we'll things. say we we we've heard rumors that things got so bad. And again, this is rumors. Things got so bad between Perlmutter and Feige. Feige was ready to walk out and go to DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've heard about that. So to see Bob Iger return to Disney. Yep. And this is not exactly a fun <coughs> return, if no. you will. No. Like. He left the company and was retired. The fact that he's back yeah. is very big news. And if he's making swift changes like he's doing, this is something to keep an eye on. For Perlmutter to be, to be removed is, like I said, not a big shock, um, no. you know, in my opinion. Um, it, it, it's a little surprising just because he. I didn't realize he was still around. Yeah. You know, we heard his name and we heard the name thrown out, you know, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, especially when it was, you know, the because uh, the other thing, too, is let's not forget when the X-Men got casted into their own universe and their own dimension in the comics. Yeah. Because <laughs> reasons. Yes. And that's that's the easiest answer. If you want a bit deeper explanation, we'll find a video on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, you know, Perlmutter, I, I in my opinion, I think it was, you know, very dated yeah. in his opinions yeah. and in his actions. And like we say, we've heard <laughs> a plethora of allegedly's over time Yeah, that, you know, as the proverbial saying is, if there's smoke, there's fire. So there to have that much of a, of a visceral reaction as uh, the Reddit that you were referring to. Had, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I think kind of speaks some volumes. Um, but like we say, allegedly with all that, because what we know is he's gone and now the question is, what is going to be the future of Marvel Entertainment? And to really clarify, this is the comics. Right. This is this is everything not involved with the studios. Yes. The studio, the TV and film division are not part of this. They are under Kevin Feige. Right. That's Marvel Studios. Entertainment is everything from the digital video games. Right. The arena shows, you know, the comics, the toys, you know, the board games. Yeah. It's everything else. Everything else. And this is huge news because as the New York Times uh, quote was coming out about how allegedly uh, Marvel is now considered redundant by Disney. Well, I don't know if I'll necessarily go that far. Yeah, that's well, that was the term um, right. that the New York Times used. Um, I think that that is a, a, a troubling statement if you are a comic fan. Now. What does this mean short term? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Comics are still rolling out. The house uh, that of ideas is still moving forward with books. Nothing is you know folding up shop tomorrow. But I think this is something for comic fans that you need to keep your eyes on. I think if anything changes, it's just some stuff is going to be simplified because let's not forget. Disney does have its own comics division. Right. You know, they have their own, you know, line and their own stuff under the Disney. Now, am I going to set now? Am I sitting here saying this time next year, we're going to be sitting here reading Spider-Man comics and X-Men comics with the house of mouse logo in the top left? No. But what I think could happen is that rather than paying when they're trying to cut costs and trying to save money where they can, what I'm saying is, is why pay three people to do the same job? When you can pay one person or, yeah. or two people, 
You know, so do you really need somebody for, you know, the Disney comics side to be the editor in chief and this and that and the uh, the overseer and the head writer of this or whatever it is, and then you need somebody for for Disney to do the same thing when you can try and do it with just one. Yeah, that, that's I think the only going to be the only change. I think you're still going to see the Marvel name. Nothing's going to change. It's just going to be behind the scenes stuff that ultimately doesn't really affect our viewing and enjoyment of these comics. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's arguably what's going to happen. But I think what unfortunately we're going to have is, in my opinion, I think unfortunately we're having layoffs. Oh, oh yeah, they they're laying off like seven thousand people yeah. for for Disney. Yeah, it's but especially with Marvel. Yeah, like I I and. and I, it's unfortunate, but I think this is something that they're going to be doing as a restructuring. What is going to be the future of Marvel entertainment that it's still up in the air right. about what that final vision is going to be. I think the only person that might have a, a slight idea is Bob Iger. Yeah. I, I, cause I don't think <laughs> it's really clear cut about how things are going to ship. No, you know, and sale. No, I think that that's something that we're just going to have to sit back and just keep, buying the books in being fans. And that's the only thing we can really do as of right now. So if you're sitting on Twitter or Reddit or Facebook, doom scrolling, stop because yeah. no, nothing's going to happen in the immediate future. Nothing's going to happen this time next week where, where, Oh, Marvel's closing shop. They're not going to publish comics anymore. No, just, just relax. Yeah. Things will play out the way they play out. Yeah, like I say, according to an article on the popverse.com, uh, following the layoffs at Marvel Entertainment today, Poppers has confirmed that Dan Buckley will, remains as president of Marvel Entertainment, reporting directly to Kevin Feige. Yeah. So, you know, as of right now, everything is staying as stat quo up there, but it's not to say, unfortunately, that there's going to be changes coming forward. Is everything going to be absorbed into the House of Mouse? Yeah, to a degree, but I don't think that they would get rid of the brand. No. I think... God, no. I think at this stage... It's going to be a transition into what Marvel is going to be under Disney because I think it's it's a weird thing to try breaking down, uh-huh. but it's something that it's now going to be different how we see things, and yeah. I think yeah. just the presentation is going to be a lot different because it's not like the comics were not making money, right? You know, seriously, Marvel has still been having a strong footprint. The movies obviously are what pop culture talks a lot about, mm-hmm. but comics are still comics at the comic shops, and they're still a mover and shaker to a lot of fans. So it's not to say that you know tomorrow everything stops, right? But I think that what we need to brace for as fans, is, in my opinion, is a very big transition. Uh-huh. And it's not to say that things are going to get streamlined down to next to nothing, but I think we are going to see some streamlining. Oh, guaranteed. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see about how books, you know, how many books of a certain character are going to be out in the next couple of years. Right. Like, for example, I mean, how many Spider-Man books do we have out a month? God, at least two or three. Yeah. And X-Men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Double that number. Like I say, you, you might see a consolidation of that just early guessing. Yeah. Or they might just say, you know, we're going to leave it alone. But like I say, the quote that's haunting me is that New York Times one because that's not giving me a sense of confidence in the current stat. So we just have to sit back and watch this all in play. But this is a bigger move than I think people realize. Yeah. Because obviously it's not Kevin Feige to the to the pop culture audience. I mean, Kevin Feige is something to the pop culture audience. 
Perlmutter is something to the comics audience, mm-hmm. not so much to the pop culture audience. So now, if you're somebody that goes every Wednesday to your comic shop and makes yours Marvel, you're going to have to really sit back and think about, okay, what's the future of these books are going to be? Right. And there is going to be a big transition, unfortunately. It's just something that if you are still a fan of these books, go out and and make sure you're buying them. Yeah. Because I think at the end of the day, that's... I hate saying this, but I think that that's what Disney is going to be looking at, is the almighty dollar. And if these books are really selling, then they'll keep you know put, putting them out at the mass rate they are. I could see them scaling back though. Probably. I think unfortunately that could happen. Yeah, I think unfortunately, like we're gonna we're gonna have it go back. Um, to what extent? I don't know the scale back, but I think you're gonna see a significant one. Right. And then I still think you're gonna see a lot of stuff come under. Maybe a Marvel slash Disney or you know dash Disney yeah. uh, banner. I don't. I, I think just for the aesthetic alone, they won't change it. There might be something in the legalese, or or in like the fine print of the comic, like on on the cover page or mm. whatever. But in terms of like on the cover, there there's no way. No, they. I mean, they shouldn't. But you you don't know. I mean, that's that's the scary thing about this pad, is they shouldn't. And we say this as just you know speculating. We don't have any inside track to this. But as a speculator, you're going to see some significant changes. And obviously, with Perlmutter gone, a lot of people are happy about that. Because um, yeah. if, you, if you believe all the allegedly's, you know, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. There's a, you know, people are going to be happy about the transition. But the long term, that's the biggest domino we don't know. And especially with a comment coming out like that, like I can't emphasize that enough. That is a very scary statement to me as a fan because now that means big changes are coming. And for me, that has grown up as a Marvel reader, you know, if I have to declare a brand, I've always been a Marvel reader. This is something that frightens me a bit as we're going to see a massive change in the landscape that we know as Marvel Comics. And that's going to trickle down everything from the video games to the mobile games the you know the podcasts to the toys like you alluded to the, right you know, like you're gonna see a lot of things ha- feel this effect like pun intended this is the Thanos snap maybe so it'll be interesting to see how this all shapes up we'll be we'll keep commenting on this as we see more information go on but huge news seeing Perlmutter get let go and now. What is the state of Marvel Comics? Yeah. Final thoughts on it, Pat? Uh, it's definitely sh- shocking news, and it's going to be interesting just to see where things go. You know, because like you said, it's unknown, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. I really hate the word redundant. So hopefully, this is only maybe a misquote. Fingers crossed, in my opinion. But I don't know. It's going to be a very interesting transition period for Marvel Entertainment. Keeping good thoughts for everybody there. Uh, that said, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Ike Perlmutter getting dismissed from Disney as part of, you know, they're doing some layoffs? And what do you think the future of Marvel Comics Entertainment is? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, it's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH podcast. Gonna 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got just one thing to talk about. It's been a bit of a quiet news week this week for pop culture stuff. Yeah, to be honest with you, yeah. surprising. Yeah, although I don't mind it. Well, uh, you know what? Everything is going towards C2E2 this weekend. Yeah, so yeah. definitely if you're out in Chicago, yeah. go check it out and go check out our friends over at the Nerd Initiative doing a big panel there, uh, Marvel Trivia. Yeah. So definitely go go say hi to them. Go say hi to our guy, Sean, from the Caption Life out there. He's going to be in full yeah. attendance. Uh, but the one thing I do have to talk about is I got to wish a happy birthday to a certain franchise and that's franchise is a video game franchise near and dear to my heart that is kingdom hearts uh kingdom hearts released in japan on march 28th 2002 so 21 years ago it released to the world and would change a lot of people's lives myself included uh the series has gone on to ship over 35 million copies worldwide holy smokes i know a lot of franchises stretching from the playstation to the game boy advance nintendo ds the playstation portable mobile phones uh, cell phones, and I'm talking not iPhones, but actual like cell phones. It's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, it's on the Xbox, it's on the Switch, although, God, that Switch version sucks. <laughs> you know, and, and coming soon to PlayStation, it's on PlayStation 5. You know, it's on every, it's on basically almost every console. It's, it's a fantastic franchise, you know, that... Honestly, I wouldn't have played were it not for, and understandably, the Disney commercial they ran mm. uh, back on Disney Channel back in you know 2002. Like I think it was like summer 2002, because my brother they were advertising the hell out of this, and, and I never seen anything like. It. I was like, "What is this? This looks awesome!" You know, ended up getting it for Christmas. You know, the same year I got a I got a PlayStation for Christmas, a PlayStation Two for Christmas. You know. Ended up diving into it, and I'll be honest, I have played Kingdom Hearts 1 more times than I am willing to admit, because it's a lot. Uh, it was to the point where my parents would look at me and go, really, you're playing this again? And I'm like, yes, it's fun. You know, I I'm, I always get that itch every once in a while, every year or so to play it again. I'm getting it again, but I'm fighting it off because I'm playing other games right now I need to finish. But happy birthday, Kingdom Hearts, you know, and, and to all of the, you know, writers, producers, you know, programmers, artists, you know, composers and, and anybody else involved behind the scenes uh, with Kingdom Hearts over the years. Thank you, because it's been admittedly a convoluted story at times and one that I needed to do a Charlie Day spreadsheet to figure out sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's been fun, you know, and the fact that it's it's 21 years on, I still enjoy it. It doesn't feel like a chore. For me to go back through those games and play through and play through them, I still get a sense of enjoyment out of it. You know, I think I think just speaks to how much fun they are. I'm waiting for the day you and Tyler from Thirty and Nerdy do a Kingdom Hearts retrospective show. Christ, that's going to be like 48 hours. Seriously, between you two, I know that's your games. Like oh, that, yeah. that's between both of you. No, you know it's it's interesting to see the fandom for this because like I'm not the biggest sure. Disney sure. person out there. But I do respect it. Sure. And, like, I know how you guys get up for it. And, oh, sure. you know, it, it's an entertaining game. I mean, I've played it before. But I just I, – it always is very fascinating to me to see just – It's a weird combination because when you, pitch, yeah. when you pitch it to somebody, it's Final Fantasy means Disney. Right. On the surface, you don't think it should work, but it does. Yeah, like, that's the craziest thing about it. Like, there's so many elements involved. And, like you say, it's Final Fantasy meets Disney. And yeah. it's like, it shouldn't work. But it does. It, it, but it does. Yeah. Like, and yeah, and to see like now it's it's been 20, 21 years. Twenty one years. Yeah. Holy smokes, yeah. man. Insane. Yeah. But hey, happy birthday! And you know, hit us up on that social media. Let us know your favorite moment from Kingdom Hearts. We'll throw Ooh. this out there. Yeah. Throw it to Pad. Tag me in it and tag Tyler from Thirty and Nerdy at Thirty and Nerdy Pod. I'm gonna say mine. The One Thousand Heartless Battle in Kingdom Hearts Two. Uh, I had to give my thumb a rest for about ten minutes afterwards. 
Okay. Because I was mashing the X button and the triangle button like crazy. And if you played that battle, you know why. Fair enough. So we'll definitely be waiting to see those responses. So let's close it out as we always do. Pad, what's at the comic shop this week? Uh, just to this week, a little bit of a quiet week for me, but uh, hey, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Both of them are Marvel. Both of them are Star Wars. Uh, the first of which is Star Wars The High Republic, issue number seven from Kevin Scott. Listen, it's High Republic. It's Kevin Scott. Need I say more? Hmm. I don't think so. It's Fair. amazing. It's amazing. Uh, and then the other one is Star Wars The High Republic, The Blade, issue number four. This is the final issue of that little mini series they're doing. Uh, this was written by Charles Soule, who is phenomenal. It's Charles uh, Soule. It's Charles Soule. It's Star Wars. You can't go wrong. Uh, so like I said, and as I've said before, if you're not into the Star Wars, the High Republic stuff, it is some of the best Star Wars telling they've done. It's set 300 years before the events of A New Hope. Yoda pops in every now and again because, hey, he ends up being like 900 years old when he dies. So he makes a, he makes some appearances. Uh, but other than that, it doesn't tie too much into the prequels or the sequels. So you don't got to worry about any of that burden or anything like that. But and, it, and it's fun. You know, I highly recommend you check them out. So for me, oh, those are great picks too. Yes. Like I say, I, I'm starting to get into the Star Wars side of things, the comics, but I, my reading list is enormous. It's so, long. Yeah, so trying to sneak in there. So, Pad, Marvel's big release this week, surprisingly, is not Star Wars. It's Jeff. Do you know about Jeff the Landshark? No. He has slowly become like a fin- like pop culture phenom amongst Marvel comic fans. Okay. So if you're familiar with the stories on the Marvel Unlimited app, you know who Jeff is. So they're now doing a one shot. I'm showing Pad the cover. What the fuck? This is no, this is a real deal. Like I say, you you huh. don't you do not understand this no. when you talk to Marvel comic fans. This is a big deal. So I expect a lot of people are gonna be talking about it. it's Jeff. Uh and like I say, he's a fun character. If you haven't read it on Marvel Unlimited, you should go check it out. And like I say, uh, keep your eyes out for the one shot. I know a lot of fans are gonna be talking about that this week, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, going to the comicsology original side of things, they are coming out with a, a few interesting books this week. Okay. Um, which they're diving into uh, a few famous uh, people, shall we say? There's a Socrates one shot, Vincent Van Gogh, Nikola Tex- uh, Tesla, Nikola Tesla, oh. yeah, and Mary Shelley. Oh, Frankenstein. Yeah. So there, it's it's kind of like this interesting series they're putting out. So if you are interested in that, I I highly recommend it. Did not get a chance to review it. For parlay points, but this is something that if you're into something a little bit different than your normal comics, this is going to be something to check out, especially if you are fans of said uh, figures. Yeah. So definitely want to keep that on your radar. From DC Comics, The Unstoppable Doom Patrol, number one. So Dennis Culver, Chris Burnham. So this is interesting how this series is playing out. It's going to be seven issues now. It It was originally supposed to be six. And I believe that the deal is it's going to be done yearly. So this is going to be like the TV show, like a season. And then it's going to come back for season two, come back for season three and so forth. Mm -hmm. So kind of interesting concept. I've heard nothing but rave reviews about this. In fact, there's like a scratch away cover Mm -hmm. for one of the issues for issue number one. So definitely something to keep an eye out for Doom Patrol. I love the TV show. I know the Titans is coming back pretty soon for their uh, final season. And I know Doom Patrol is, you know, coming back. That is one of the best shows on HBO Max. I would love to see it uh, still somehow, some way, make it into the James Gunn universe side of things. But as of right now, I don't know any details about it. So, you know, support the comics, and that's the easiest way to kind of send the message moving forward. On parlay points, though, 
had a really good uh, couple books, though. I definitely want to talk about this week. First up on the list, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers slash Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, number 4. So, Pad, this has been the sequel to the 2019 series. Yes. It's Ryan Parrott yep. and it's Dan Mora. Oh, there you go. Do I need to say more? Not really, no. The series has been on point since the first issue, and this is just an excellent series. All the stops are coming out for this one. I'm showing Pad some of the art right Ooh, now. Very nice. Like I say, it's. I mean, it's Dan Mora art. Yeah, like, yeah. Do I like I like I say? I don't feel I need to sell it. But Pat, I'm just going to show you this image without any context. What the fuck am I looking at? Exactly. If you read the story, you know exactly that they are just exploring the creative side of both fandoms and putting them together, mashing them all up, and this is what we're getting. It's awesome. Like this book is just so much fun. I love reading this. I'm sad that we only have one issue left, but this is something very cool by Boom Studios and IDW Publishing. So you definitely want to go make sure you're picking that up and make sure you're you're not missing this in your collection. It is an absolute must read. Also from Boom Studios this week, S-I-K-T-C number 30. Uh, it's the latest adventures of Erica Slaughter. And unfortunately, due to the tragic events in Nashville and our heartfelt condolences out to everybody involved with that, uh, I'm not saying the name of the book, um, but you do know what it is. It's the new property that's making its way to Netflix. Right. Uh, just out of respect to everybody. Um, the series has nothing to do with that, first and foremost. And I think anybody that has read this book knows that. But out of respect to the families involved, I just I, it, it's tough for me to say the name this week right it, it's just one of the unfortunate things about the name yeah that it, it's subject of circumstance mm-hmm. and you know i will say uh i give a, a very big thank you to boom studios i told them that i was not going to be saying the name on social media and that and they said we completely support your decision about this so right you know definitely want to give a shout out to boom studios about this the book though um you know getting back on task uh phenomenal ending of the current arc with erica slaughter uh stepping uh, up the uh, ante against cutter this has been building and like i say this book does slow burn build drama better than everybody james tynan werther del Urta, miguel murto absolutely crushes this series each and every issue and when this book hits netflix it's going to be absolutely must watch tv i guarantee to you this uh, this is something I know Pad does not read because he's not into horror books, and this is, a, this is a little bit intense for him. Yeah. But I will say this. This series is absolutely phenomenal. I can't speak enough about it. And definitely make sure you're checking out uh, this at the comic shops this week. S-I-K-T-C. You can put it together on social media and just hit me up on Parlay Points. You, you'll you see the name right there. But like I say, with everything that happened this week, um, I just really don't want to be saying the name right now. It's just not not the best look in my opinion for me personally. Um, that said, my last pick this week, local man, number two, Tony Fleek's Tim Seeley's homage to, uh, early image comics with the fallen hero that did something, got kicked off the team and the mystery behind it is still unraveling. So, uh, this book has been a great read from image comics. Uh, Definitely, as an old-school image reader, there's a lot of themes that I, I kind of see him play out. And the mystery is just getting better involving Jack Xavier, at, known as the former member of 3rd Gen as Crossjack. So definitely a cool series to pick up. Issue 2 is out right now, and you can read about my thoughts on Parley Points at odphpodcast.com and nerdinitiative.com. 
So definitely make sure, hit me up. Let me know what you thought of all the books this week. If I missed something this week that you're like, hey, at the comic <coughs> shops, what I want to talk about, hit me up. Let me know. We'll go from there with that. That's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. This is the way. I'm your host, Ken. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.